1: If you are my body nope. and you think I'm sexy, uh-uh. come on sugar, tell me so. I'll pass. If you really need me, don't just reach out and touch Nada. me. Come on, honey, tell me so. So
2: can can we just get started?
1: Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on your favorite podcast. It's Thoughts That Rock, the podcast that is about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice squeezed into about half an hour. And we totally get it. We know how busy you are,
2: and you probably have a million things on your list today. And mm-hmm. grabbing any piece of wisdom, you know, even if it's a little nugget that can amp up your life, they are so hard to come by. We totally understand Which is why it doesn't really matter. I mean, you could be breaking down crates in the back of a Wegmans or relaxing at a highway rest stop or installing a she shed for your mother-in-law. It doesn't really matter. We just want to be the 30 minutes that you look forward
1: to each and every week. Yeah. Thoughts that rock helps support cannonball kids cancer. Oh yeah. It's a fantastic nonprofit focused on providing options to kids with cancer who've been told that they've run out of options. So CKC actually helps identify innovative options and then provides the funding necessary. Necessary for the treatment. So cool. So you know, listen, we love this organization. They provide hope to the hopeless, and that's what we're all about. And just a quick reminder: it doesn't matter what format you're
2: listening to the podcast. If you like what you hear, we would absolutely dig it if you take a second to just, you know, give us a great rating, and, and even more importantly, than that write an actual written review. Believe it or not, that matters to us to get in front of more people so that we can grow the show and obviously help better support cannonball Kids Cancer.
1: Yeah, so listen. Whatever we need to do to, uh, you know, S- sweeten the deal. Sweeten the pie a little bit. Yeah, just a little. You know, when you hear this music, what it's time for? I know what time it's for. You know, it's time to maybe put the shrimp on the Barbie. I do. It's transition time. <laughs> transition time? Yeah. Transition to business time. Business time. <laughs>
2: Our guest today is Noah Glass. We are so thrilled to have him on the show. Noah's the uh, founder and CEO of Olo, which is the leading provider of digital ordering and delivery solutions for the restaurant industry. And I know that uh, food service is Noah's jam. You know, he started in the industry about 20 years ago as a frontline worker. And I I think pretty much, Noah, you've worked every position, right? Cashier, server, bartender, I, I think delivery driver. Um, but but ever since I've known him, and I think when you look at his background, he's always been a visionary. In fact, he had uh, th- this mobile ordering uh, mindset and his work that he was doing actually predates the iPhone, wow. you know beginning with um, restaurant text message ordering in 2005. and he eventually built Olo, which I'm sure he's going to talk about. But today, I, I think Olo has over a hundred million consumers that use the platform to skip the line. And uh, have meals delivered from big brands like Applebee's and Cheesecake Factory and Chili's and Denny's and Five Guys. I know he's with uh, Jamba Juice and and Shake Shack and so many more. Currently, I think, Noah, you work uh, with a couple different boards, most notably with the Culinary Institute of America and Share Our Strength, which we know very well and and, uh, I personally support with my book. Um, You know, Share Our Strength is a nonprofit that's focused on ending childhood hunger in the US. So we're big fans of those guys. Um, 2008 Noah was named one of the 50 most influential people in food service by Nation's Restaurant News on their power list. So Brandt. Noah's kind of a kind of a big deal in our industry. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh,
1: it sounds like it. It is. <laughs>
2: um, he's been featured everywhere, honestly. Business Week, uh, ABC World News, CNN, Good Morning America, Entrepreneur Magazine, you know, Wall Street Journal. You you name it, he's probably been on it and and you know, it's is probably gonna be doing a whole lot more soon. I've known Noah actually for many years through some industry associations and just sort of marveled at his success. And uh, Noah, we're we are so Happy to finally get a hold of you and and get you on the podcast. So welcome to Thoughts That Rock.
0: Well, Jim and Brand, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be
2: here. Great, buddy. Well, listen, we're going to let you sort of run the show here for a little bit. You know, we do things just a little bit differently on our podcasts, you know, versus sort of the traditional Let's talk about your entire career and your life. Um, we're looking for a, a piece of advice that you think could probably rock people's face off. So we're we're going to uh, throw the floor over to you and, and just ask you straight out, what is your thought that rocks?
1: Thoughts that rock. number, number one.
0: Yeah, well, my thought is a borrowed thought. It's one from uh, Warren Buffett. And it's a great quote that I think really applies to really the history of my experience with Olo from starting it in 2005 to today in 2019. So the thought, the quote is, predicting rain doesn't count, building arcs does. Nice. I think that quote really appeals to me really as somebody named Noah. My my namesake obviously (laughs) built an arc. I think that's what uh, Mr. Buffett is referring to there. (laughs) Yes, he is. You know, we're, we're thinking about um, something that requires foresight and something that requires conviction enough to make a big, substantial, long-term bet on you know, something that you see coming in the future that's going to really shake things up and create this transition and preparing yourself and your community for that transition. And that's really how I think about what Olo did started to do back in 2005 and the journey that we've been on for the past 14 years, we effectively really built an arc. Uh, We didn't just say, hey, mobile ordering is going to happen to the restaurant industry, to the broader retail industries. Uh, We didn't sort of say this could be this interesting trend in the future, but we really made a big bet and disrupted our individual lives, professional careers, to jump on board and get to work building this arc. And then really ever since building it, we've been building more onto it, building it into a a broader and kind of uh, more seaworthy vehicle and getting the community, the restaurant industry, and partners on board with us going through what is really the, the most meaningful transition that the restaurant industry has ever gone through. Um, This is the digital transition where the way that consumers are now ordering is really coming from digital devices. It's consumers ordering from smartphones, ordering from desktop web, ordering from kiosks, but not ordering in the traditional way through a cashier or through a server, and what's happening now you you look at uh, predictions that analysts are making I guess those are the ones who are predicting rain right and they're predicting a tsunami. I mean they're saying between now and the end of 2022 in this eight hundred billion dollar industry that we're operating in the restaurant industry, two hundred billion dollars twenty five cents of every food dollar in the restaurant industry is going to shift towards digital ordering and delivery and if you put that in perspective, that is, more than all of the sales of all drive-through operations combined and happening in a time period that is basically three years between now and 2022. If you look at the history of the drive-through, that's over 40 years uh, of evolution. So to think about something that is happening 10 times as fast and having more of a profound impact across the industry, you know, that is really the, the sea change that we saw coming back in 2005. And started preparing for and had the conviction to really make a big investment and get our investors alongside of us making that investment as we invested our time uh, in creating a platform that would enable our customers to not just survive that flood, but thrive and be prepared on the other side for a new world.
2: And it wasn't just Dolo, right? Weren't you... I know this probably resonated with you when you hear that quote, but even before that, the, the company, the business, the thought process that you had, have you always been like that? That it's not so much listening just to the predictors, but you're able to think far into the future. I mean, that's why at the top of the podcast, I really do think you're a visionary. You, you were thinking about this stuff long before it actually came to fruition in the in the industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I had the benefit for seeing what became Olo of a couple of things. One was during college working at Shutterfly.com in the summer of 2000. And that was this amazing experience of, number one, getting to work at a startup at at a young age and being really shaped by that experience, especially being on the product team there as a product management intern for a summer. But also just kind of thinking about the common thread between that experience and what we're doing at Olo was a new consumer technology that was reshaping a retail experience that had existed a certain way for a long time. So at Shutterfly, that new consumer technology was digital cameras and the emergence of consumers, but also real photogs getting into digital cameras as a way Mm -hmm. of capturing photography Uh, And then Shutterfly saying, well, maybe that means that we can print these digital images and rethink that Photoshop experience and rethink what a world where digital cameras are the ones taking the the images would look like from a photo printing perspective. Similarly, the insight with Olo really began with imagining a future where everybody was walking around with a smartphone in their pocket. Yeah. And this was really, you know, the company was founded June 1st, 2005. But I started thinking about this really right when I moved to New York, uh, which was in 2003. And I became really fascinated by what was happening in Japan and also in South Korea in terms of smartphones and companies like NTT Docomo that we're doing just really interesting things with smartphones while we all just had feature phones and we were kind of barely learning how to do text messaging. So I had the benefit of seeing that and imagining, well, what would it look like if everybody around me had a smartphone in their pocket? And imagining some of the use cases in Japan and South Korea, it wasn't just a communication device, and it wasn't just a content device. It was becoming something that was akin to a digital fingerprint, an identity. And from that you could then link payment credentials and you could know where somebody was because it was location aware. And those two kind of characteristics combined to me meant this thing can become a commerce device. Yeah. It can go far beyond what we've seen with e-commerce to date. It can be a commerce device that knows who you are, knows where you are, and with that context can connect you in kind of like a remote control for buying things in the world around you. When I first moved to New York, I was living on Wall Street. I was uh, in the same building as a Starbucks that was super busy every morning because you had all the stockbrokers getting off of the subway, going to the Starbucks, you all the people who lived in the area going to the Starbucks. And I had this idea of, wouldn't it be great if you could order ahead, pay ahead? The, the, uh, Starbucks could get your order. They could prepare that order. They could have it ready and waiting for you when you arrived. And you could then skip the line. And that's now our registered trademark of yeah. the consumer value proposition for ordering ahead through a mobile ordering experience and getting to skip the line. And that was sort of the insight that really crystallized for me based on kind of seeing the things that were happening in different parts of the world and then applying it to my life as a, a New Yorker who is constantly kind of running up into this peak ordering demand uh, moment of the coffee rush every morning.
2: I love that. But I love that whole journey and that story. The, the only thing I would maybe push back on is, let's be honest, Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek created the uh, pocket smartphone. Come on, they foreshadowed that in the nineteen sixties.
0: <laughs> That's true. I'm just. I, I'm not. I'm not a Trekkie. I, I wish I were cool enough to be a Trekkie. Oh,
1: uh, podcast is done. I'm That's sorry. It's, it's over. It's you've, just, you've just insulted him on a level that you have no idea. Brant, can you take over? of yeah. Here. You know, interesting enough. Um, you know, I think. Noah, as someone who sort of built the ark for this forecasted rain, uh, there's a bunch of industries right now that are sort of facing the same sort of a scenario with AI coming in now and sort of this fear as to what that's going to look like and what that's going to mean to the workforce in this country and the potential job loss or at least change of, of plans as to where the jobs are going to be. What advice do you have for for this generation that's now facing something that you looked at in two thousand and
0: five? Yeah, you know it, it's a great point. I think artificial intelligence and machine learning are going to reshape a whole lot of industries. There are a lot of floods going on at once. AI is maybe like the the meta flood that's happening. I just read a book about this called AI Superpowers, um, and it's a fascinating book, really, because it looks at you know, number one, kind of classic study of what are the jobs that you could imagine artificial intelligence taking over, you know, jobs that could be learned by a machine and done better and more efficiently and consistently by a machine than by a person. It also looks at different approaches around the world. So similar to kind of my looking abroad for uh, different trends and then applying them, but it looks at the regulatory environment of the U S versus China. And it's kind of a a scary book from the standpoint of it. It shows just how far ahead China and Chinese entrepreneurs and startups are in thinking about AI and applying AI to different industries, to data collection, to data processing. Um, I, I think this is going to be something that really reshapes our world. So I guess, you know, my advice is, um, I really think it's a massive mistake when people are like the ostrich that you know, puts their head in the sand and yeah. tries to pretend that nothing is is changing or happening around them. I think it's critical that people get educated about um, what's what's happening and why it's different from some of the other trends that have happened in, in history. I mean, I, I've I've talked about AI with folks before and heard them say, "Oh yeah, but but farming equipment." What what does that mean? Well, farming equipment. Everybody said farming equipment's going to come around. It's going to put all these farmers out of business, and and that didn't happen. You know, that didn't create this massive job loss. People have changed into different industries, and sure, there are fewer farmers than there were back then, but no, we still just have made a their lot of right?
2: Completely better.
0: Yeah, yeah. But so I I think that 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 is um, an analogy that people often draw of like, oh, this new technology comes in, it reshapes the way that the workforce lays out and the the different jobs are available. Um, But it shouldn't be that, that sort of like historical analogy shouldn't be a hand wave of like, you know, this doesn't matter. We don't have to think about this. We really have to think about this. And I've also noticed in the restaurant industry going through this transition to digital ordering and delivery, there are a lot of ostriches with their heads in the sand trying to say, well, this is not really happening. It's not meaningful. And and these things never look meaningful at first. They're kind of blips on the radar. And then they start growing exponentially. And that exponential growth eventually becomes very big and very material to the tune of, you know, 25 cents of every dollar of restaurant sales. Yep. I mean, if I look at our business, we are we did a hundred million transactions last year in twenty eighteen. The year before it was fifty, the year before it was twenty five. Whoa. We did a hundred million transactions in the first six months of this year, twenty nineteen. And so we really see just inside the company that exponential growth curve. No doubt. And people who look at it and say, Oh, you know, this is not a big deal, it's small, or even worse, this is a fad. This is this is not going to stand the test of time. It's going to go away. Um, I think they're really doing themselves, their companies, the, the the stakeholders in those companies, the shareholders, the employees, the guests, a huge disservice to not kind of understand what's happening and think about well, what does this mean about how I should be plotting the future based on this large change to my present conditions taking place. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting
1: because uh, while I agree with you a hundred percent that that's exactly what should be happening. Uh, there's, there's sort of, I look at it as it's a two headed monster, right? So you've got on one side, this, this head in the sand, not wanting to look at what AI potentially is going to do and what it's already doing to the industries of which it's going to affect. But on the other side, almost in the exact opposite direction from a skilled labor standpoint, uh, I had a client that uh, is, is in the textile business, their carpet manufacturer. And I visited their plant um, a a year or so ago and they have this, this huge carpet mill, right? And so they're, they're making this incredible luxury carpet, and the the gentleman who is running the machine, which has you know fifteen hundred sort of thread heads on it, that is literally weaving this carpet, he's in his seventies, and and I'm going okay, well who who's who's going to take his job when he retires because he's got to be soon to retiring, and they were like, we don't have anybody else that knows how to run this machine. Oops. So you know, almost on the other side, there has to be I would assume this little gap of of companies that have technology that hasn't actually caught up yet with, with what AI's impact could have that requires skilled labor, but there's a shortage of the skilled labor as well. So they're going to end up sort of on both ends with these battles, one for finding people who can handle the technology of old that requires a certain skill set, and on the other end, the future of, of AI's impact and, and looking more on a, on a programmer side, uh, as opposed to a, you know, manual skilled labor effort, isn't that, uh, do you see that that's also something that's going to affect the industry on the skilled labor side?
0: Absolutely, I think you make a great point, and it's really—I think about somebody like that seventy-year-old gentleman who who knows how to run a fifteen-hundred-threadhead you know, carpet weaver. Like he—he he is an artisan, yeah. And you have a lot of artisans who are going to kind of age out and not be in the the, the workforce anymore and not a lot of folks who are apprenticing with them and learning uh, that craft. And I think that is an opportunity. I think that, you know, you, you do see a little bit of and some of this in uh, New York city in Brooklyn with, you know, uh, platforms like Etsy. I, I find that you you'll see a lot of people who are of new artisans and like to do handmade things. Um, you see this, I think with, Craft breweries all, all around the country, yeah. um, where people are kind of going back to, all right. Well, what what is the most human thing? It, it is the human expression through art and craft, and I think that's a, a great opportunity for people to, while all of this AI transition is happening, you know, not take on jobs where they're going to be kind of a cog in the machine and ultimately get that replaced by an actual machine being the cog in the machine in the form of AI. But think about what are the most human forms of expression and how do I become an apprentice to somebody like this, uh, you know, carpet weaver and, and you know, take on a job like that. That's going to be really in demand forever. We're, we're always going to need carpets.
2: Yeah. You know, Brant, there's a documentary about all this called terminator. (laughs) I know that, uh, (laughs)
1: No, o- Olo, Olo is the new sky dad.
2: Oh man, I, I know that <laughs> Noah's making sure that uh, we've got the balance here. But <clears throat> Noah, you're, you basically are going to be running the world in the future. I can see that happening. Um, wow. And so okay. this is a lot yeah, of
0: responsibility. yes it's true. I
2: don't know if that's positive or negative, but I'm glad I know you. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. Right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uncle Ben, Spider Man, right. that's right. 2001. Um, so, so this is probably a perfect time for us to <clears throat> switch to. I think the next sort of thought, our thought, that hopefully is complimentary and and sort of a continuation of your thought, Noah and and Brant. What did we we select as our thought that rocks? Thoughts that Rock, number two.
1: Our thought comes from the famed American composer, Leonard Bernstein, uh, and it's to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. And I, I absolutely love this thought. Uh, doing uh, research for uh, for the book uh, that I that I wrote with Jim Trick about a year ago, we came across this story from the late 1800s uh, about this massive flood that hit a village near Saigon. And you know, the water obviously came came in and devastated this village. But but even more devastating than the water was that it brought with it. A ton of monocled cobras into this village, and these cobras were biting people, and they were dying, and and it was a panic. And so there was a, a French doctor at the time who happened to see what was going on, and he noticed that the cobras uh, that were coming in were biting horses, but the horses weren't dying. So he caught a couple of the of the snakes, he withdrew their venom, he injected them into the horses, he he took the horses' blood and removed it with the antibodies that the horses were creating and he created an anti-venom and started to save a bunch of these lives. And and it's just amazing to me that when you start thinking about these things about, you know, you, you can plan for the flood, like we just talked about. Um, but, uh, sometimes the sense of urgency is really a spark for innovation. And, uh, I, I think that's, uh, what we saw in the, in, in this illustrated story here with something that had never been done before. and, and, because of that sense of urgency of people dying, it it allowed him to sort of fast track this innovation. Is that, no, is that something for you that, that you have found that while you're building the arc, if there is sort of this sense of urgency, that it, that it becomes a spark for potential innovation.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love that quote and that thought. And, uh, I I love also that you all selected a Leonard Bernstein quote (laughs) as, uh, the father of a two and a half year old who wants to be a conductor, uh, Leonard Bernstein is like the original rock star yeah. of, of conductors, right? Mm-hmm. So, love that. Actually, my, my son, no one really wants to be uh, a train conductor and a symphony conductor. So we we decided he would be the first conductor conductor uh, in the world. <laughs> yes. and he's he's pretty fired up about that. Love you know, not a how he's going to be, you know, an artisan <laughs> and survive uh, the the AI uh, that's revolution. Funny. Um, But yeah, no, look, I I think that's an awesome quote, and it reminds me so much of something that we think about a lot, which is called um, Parkinson's Law. And Parkinson's Law is a proverb that work expands to fill the time available for its completion. It's kind of like the antithesis of there being urgency. It's like if you just have an unlimited amount of time when there's no urgency, You'll just keep working on something forever. Yeah. yeah, and I find all the time that you know we have on our engineering and product and design side of the company um, this sort of idealism, which is beautiful, and it's about um, thinking about what does the best version of this look like, and that comes into contact in a really healthy way with the urgency of our customers and a deadline and a goal of we want to have this live by Q3. And that really like changes the conversation where you think about something that on product teams you talk about as a, a minimum viable product which is not to say, you know, it's just a cut corners, crappy version of the product. Viable is a very important part of an MVP, a minimum viable product. How do you get something to market that sort of meets all of the needs that it needs to um, and is something that you can do in a condensed period of time because mm-hmm. of that outside urgency? That's usually where you get the most innovation. That's where you get lean product plans. Um, and, you know, you, you have uh, great books that are written about this. Um, the the lean startup uh, by Eric Ries. I mean that that's sort of like the quintessential minimum viable product, where you you get something out there, and then you get input, and you, and you iterate, and you iterate, and you iterate, and over that contact with the outside world and its urgency and its needs, you then get to the ideal perfect form of something. You don't just go into a about, uh, in an ivory tower and have a what's called in engineering a waterfall approach where you build and build and build and build without any contact with the outside world, um, that's sort of the work expanding to fill the time allotted. It's that condensed time and that urgency of a deadline that gets the true minimum viable product out there and then enables you to really build something that's iterative and ideal over time and with those outside inputs. It's
2: it's honestly the essence of one of my all time favorite go to business books execution. If you've ever read that, it's uh, you know Ram Sharam and and Larry Bossidy, and basically the whole idea is you absolutely have to have a plan. You know, it's well thought out, it's uh, it's strategic, but at some point you have to get things done. And being nimble, being quick, being intentional, being passionate, and to your point, having a timeline. Whether people that are that are working with us or for us are thinking, geez, there's really not enough time. You know, that's when they're probably going to be on their A game. That's when momentum gets created. So, you know, create the plan and stick to the plan as much you want to, but don't take forever and, and screw around with that thing. You ultimately have to, you know, get at it and make things happen. And and like you said, and I think Brant, to your point, that not quite having enough time. When I first heard that, I'm going. I like the plan part. The not having enough time. I don't need the stress and the drama. But I think you're right. That's where probably innovation
1: occurs at its best. I think. Well, I think too that when you're when you're talking about it, there's there's levels of of uh, you know not quite enough time, right? So if you're talking about something that you've got a few months to work, if you're talking about something that you know the level of time that you need to produce that sense of urgency is is now a crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that creates. You know some some additional issues. It's I I love you know one of my favorite one of my favorite quotes from uh who I consider to be one of the great philosophers of our time. Is it me? It's Mike Tyson. Oh sorry. Uh, And and Mike Tyson's you know my favorite quote from him is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Right. right. Uh, And that is sort of the same idea with this is that if you let the sense of urgency get to crisis mode, then it really. Starts to mess with the plan, right? Noah, that's. Would you agree that that if you if you're putting a little too much pressure on yourself, that's when people start to abandon the plan in place and just start functioning in panic mode.
0: Yeah, for for sure. I mean, I think there there's a balance. You can't manufacture this in a way where you know you say this is a a month long uh, project, but we're going to do it in a day, And, and you know get the most innovation. Like it doesn't quite work that way. There's a balancing, you know, a a great example of this kind of urgency and a a plan, but one that had maybe not enough time that forced us to really get creative is really sort of the first commercial launch of mobile ordering that we did. And this was, uh, back in, at the end of 2005, November of 2005, uh, you know, had this idea for mobile ordering and everybody's going to have smartphones and it's going to be this easy way to access the menu and build the order and link your credit card and pay. The problem was when I was launching this, uh, in of mid, late 2005, it was at a time period when it was under 5% of the population in the U S that had a smartphone Hmm. and, most everybody else had a phone, but it was a feature phone. These had like the, the T nine text messaging kind of keyboard where yeah. you could, you know, get to a B by pressing the number two key twice, yes. and get to a C by hitting it three times. So with that, as sort of the, the status quo tool that everybody had in their pocket, we thought about how can we do mobile ordering and get this out commercially in a way that works for everybody's phone. And we built text message ordering uh, instead of building apps and mobile websites because people just couldn't access that. Yeah. So we, we put a line and said, we're going to launch this at the end of November on a college campus on the, the Yale campus. It's where I went undergrad uh, for uh, the, the coffee shop. is kind of right at the epicenter of campus and people will be able to mobile order, albeit through text messaging. And they'll be able to text their order That will send the order into the store. That will build our credit card. But we kind of had to make a plan realizing we couldn't wait for everybody to get smartphones. We had to get text message ordering out there so that we could get mobile ordering out there, even knowing that, hey, this was a really rudimentary and clunky and high-friction process. You had to go and create an account on our site. You had to link your phone through a double opt-in text message back when that was a thing, You had to then link your credit card to the account. You had to then build your favorite orders in advance and then save them. We would then text you a copy of your menu to your phone, and you could reply to that text with a code of the order that you wanted to place at that time, and that would then send the order into the store and bill your credit card. And We even had delivery as a thought then where you could put in a letter for a delivery address, and we would know that. W was your work address, and H was your home address that was already stored, <laughs> all back Man. to that account. It was like a pretty sophisticated thing, but it was super clunky to get through, and yeah. you really had to have a you know the will as a consumer to get through that entire process of creating an account. But the great thing that happened was we got mobile ordering in this minimum viable product form out there in the world. Um, it was noticed by people as a really innovative way of using text message functionality. Text messaging had been used for buying songs or ringtones or games through a premium SMS, a premium text message. But I don't think anywhere people have been using standard rate text messages linked to credit card transactions for consumers to buy things in the real world, and, and certainly not for coffee and food. So that sort of innovative concept and, and what we brought forth in launching it in that form is really what got us some of the early press with the Wall Street Journal, with Good Morning America that led to larger restaurant groups hearing about what we were doing and what we'd built and the technology stack and saying, hey, we want to be part of this, we want to do this and kind of to go back to the arc analogy, getting onto the boat and, and being you know the, those, those animals getting on board and getting ready for this big transition even if they didn't quite know how big that transition was going to be, it felt like this is cool. This is going to give me a little bit of an edge over my competitors. I'll, I'll try it. I'll, I'll get involved. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking um, as you were talking about that, cause that really connects the two thoughts and, and Brant remember when we first launched the podcast, we sort of went through the same thing. We had a plan, right? And we wanted to ultimately be on the, new and noteworthy list like you want to get eyeballs as soon as possible up front and i remember when we first launched remember we uh, we hadn't been approved yet on our on our date that we had selected <laughs> yeah. we we weren't approved on itunes right which you know we had so many other platforms but you know at that time it was like 80 plus you know 80 percentage points of people were listening to podcasts on itunes we needed to be on that platform and we stuck to our guns. I mean, there just wasn't enough time, and we said this is what we said we were going to do. And, you know, let alone the fact that when we first even talked about doing a podcast, it was literally just five weeks before we did our first show. Yeah. But we stuck to our guns. We had 10 episodes or so in the can, and we said we're going to launch on this date. Um, but I think we just sort of put that thing out there and have gotten better over time. But to your point, no, I think, you know, connecting the two, when you think about that arc um, that mentality of you being a visionary, um, you know, you're protecting the people that you love, you're protecting the, the ecosystem of both your, your friends, your fans, the the coworkers, your customers, um, but you're getting people to a better place, you know, collectively. And I think, you know, I look back at your career and I know you've got a lot of stuff still in front of you. It's pretty exciting to just see that you're not just out there trying to create a tool or a product. You're really creating something different, and I think it's going to transcend our industry. I really do believe that. And, you know, I don't throw the word visionary around very often, but you really are a visionary, brother.
0: Well, thank you, man. I really I appreciate that. Um, I I like to think that, uh, you know, what we saw with smartphones was ahead of its time and sort of the impact that they would have on the consumer and retailer or the buyer and seller interaction um, I think that the new thing that I'm really excited about I think the industry is really you know getting reshaped by and has woken up to is almost the other side of what smartphones mean in terms of the workforce and I don't mean people working inside of the restaurant although there's an interesting story there I really mean around delivery couriers and the ability to have delivery drivers, arrive at the restaurant just in time, pick up an order, and go from point A to point B and deliver that order really quickly to a local consumer. And now with these new business models of third-party delivery, um, those employees are not necessarily restaurant employees. They can be you know, third-party delivery service provider employees, sure. but enabling this consumer experience of you know, it was really convenient for me to go through drive through Then it was really convenient for me to be able to order ahead, pay ahead, and have it ready when I arrived at every restaurant that was digital ordering. Now I can order ahead and pay ahead and just have the food magically come to me, and I don't even have to go to the restaurant. So that yeah. that is really made possible by smart- smartphones being in the hands of the gig economy workforce and drivers being able to get tasked with, go pick up at point A and deliver to point B. And there's a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning behind that and optimizing those platforms. Um, we've been thrilled to tap into that in a big way through a platform called Dispatch at Olo. And that what we've done is we've created a network of all of the different players in the delivery service provider landscape and made it possible for restaurants to offer delivery to their consumers for orders that come through the restaurant's app or website, um, but not having to staff their own delivery teams and not having to pay 20 to 30% commissions to third-party marketplaces. Instead, Mm -hmm. they can take the order. Our dispatch API connects that order to a courier from one of the various delivery service provider partners, and that courier picks up the order just in time at the restaurant. And on average, it's about 700 seconds between 12 and 13 minutes from picking up the food at peak quality to getting it in the hands of the consumer nationwide. Um, We're we're really excited about that. I feel like that uh, capability that we've built with Dispatch, we built it as a separate tech stack from our ordering platform, and we did that with the intention of this kind of utility of same-hour delivery that's something that is of use not just to restaurants, but to really all brick and mortar retailers. Yeah. I mean, all of these brick and mortar retailers have been fighting this new source of competition in their e-commerce competitors who don't have you know, uh, retail stores, but are just selling things online and shipping them out of distribution centers uh, around the country. And now, if we can make it more convenient for a consumer to get something from their local store and get it delivered the same hour than waiting two days or a day, and I really do think consumers ultimately want that instant gratification of something immediately um so an hour, I think or same hour is about the fastest that I can imagine before we do have. I'm going to lean on your Star Trek knowledge here. What, what is it when you can transport from one place to another? There, is that just it's called a, a transporter. transporter. Mm-hmm. The transporter. There you go. So I do know a little bit of Star Trek. But until we have that, I think same-hour delivery from your local store to you is a really big idea for restaurants and for retail more broadly. And I'm thrilled about the work that we're doing there uh, to make that possible and to connect restaurants and retailers to same-hour delivery and help them be competitive, not just in being local, but in being the most convenient option for the consumer. Well, you're doing
2: it. And you're probably the one that'll create the transporter, honestly. honestly, <laughs> where, um, where, Noah, can people stay connected to you? Where can they get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, I'm very active on Twitter, and um, I want to actually say something about that. There is another Noah Glass in the world Uh-oh. who is one of the co-founders of Twitter. What that the? is not me. That's, that's Noah E. Glass. You should I'm take Noah credit. E.
1: No, you should it's, take credit. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, I, people get confused all the time. In fact, Google gets confused. If you type in who founded Twitter, you will see my my picture there, um, oh, which man. is bad and something I we're trying to, to change. But um, <laughs> yeah. my Twitter handle is NH Glass. Uh, I, I'm also just Noah at olo.com for folks that want to email me privately. But nh Glass, um, and then on on LinkedIn, and I think uh, on LinkedIn I'm just Noah Glass uh, as a suffix. we we'll take those, spe- and we're just on- online at olo.com.
1: Take those speaking gigs, man. When they come in and they want to talk to one of the founders of Twitter, it's it's fifty grand, and you're there, and you'll take a quick little, you know, forty-five minute keynote for you to, to talk about something that they have no idea what you're going to talk about, and you'll just blow their minds. Love it!
0: Yeah, I'm always paranoid when I get invitations like that to speak, or you know, people invite me on to podcasts. I say, I don't know. Do they really want to talk to me, or do they want Twitter Noah? Because twitter no is pretty cool and i'm, I'm not worthy <laughs> hold on a second
2: you're not the guy with twitter <laughs> oh i know we I mean, can exactly i am bummed that you're not a trekkie but at least you're a fan of bernstein so we're we're, we're happy with that Noah, we can't thank you enough for spending a little bit of time and uh, sharing your thought love the uh that whole analogy about predicting rain doesn't count but building arts. you know that that's really the whole focus and uh you're doing it brother and we're just so thrilled that uh that that you were able to spend some time on thoughts at rock so thank you so much
0: well thanks guys you rock and it's an honor to speak with you thank you for having me you
2: thanks, got it buddy rock on
0: hey rock
1: stars thanks so much for tuning in if you liked what you heard please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode and if you're interested in having Brandt or me or both of us speak
2: at your event we're exclusively represented by kepler speakers the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience,
1: go to keplerspeakers.com. Until next time, rock on!
3: Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference.